as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone. So you are a living stone, but it's sometimes a little bit tricky to see. Are you the one, the living stone, or is he the living stone? But anyway, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by, by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Let's just stop. For a I'm gonna, let's, let me say that one more time. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Let's stop for a moment there. Um, you know, if you come to Jesus, you know, this, this, this passage is a, a strange passage. Um, it says that what you are is you are a living stone. <laughs> That's the picture. That you are a rock of some sort. And what we're going to be is that we're going to be built up into a house. So um, let, let's, just, let's just be really clear. What is this house? It's a spiritual house. This is God's church. <laughs> and the spiritual house isn't just any house. It's God's house. <laughs> what is the spiritual house? It's where God, it's where God lives. Um, I, I don't know if you, you guys ever drive around the city. <laughs> um, I live in a very strange neighborhood um, it used to be the ugliest neighborhood in Cupertino. So um, for those of you who know Cupertino, it's sort of one of the richer suburbs. And um, I, I, I can't really afford the, the market rent. I get below market rent. I won't get into exactly how that, that I get that blessing. But I'm in what I, can, I, I like to jokingly call um, the slums of Cupertino. <laughs> and the slums of Cupertino has, have, have a lot of houses that were built in the 1950s. And they are ugly, okay? And, and, and we live in one of those houses, okay? And if you stuck that house, um, so, you know, uh, um, we, we have this pastor who, who came to be our retreat speaker. His name is Min Chung. And then he came over to my house. And, um, and I, I said, uh, Pastor Min, this is the ugliest million-dollar house. And he looked at me. His eyes got, because he's, um, he, he, he's from Urbana, Champaign, Illinois. And his eyes got really big. And he said, is this house really worth a million dollars? I said, um, it's probably closer to two. <laughs> and he was like, when well, he got even more shocked. And then he says, if you took that house and put it in Urbana Champagne, it would be worth $100,000. <laughs> and so, but if you go two houses down on the exact same street, you know, so in, on, my, on my street, we have like really dumpy houses just like ours. But then two houses down, those houses have been torn down and a, a glorious, a much more glorious house that's worth probably three or, I don't know, three and a half. Who knows what the heck it's worth? It's, it's insane. Whatever it's worth is insane, right? And, um, and, you know, who lives in that house? Someone with a lot more money than me and my wife. <laughs> and I'm sure they have a much fancier title in the world. They have a fancier title in the world. And they have attained some place where you can buy a house that's worth three plus million dollars and the rocks that built that house, um, that's a, you know, it, it costs a lot of money, right? But do you know that you, you, you yourself as a person, you are part of a house. And it's not a house in Cupertino. And whether it's worth a million or two million, it's not, you know what it's worth? It's worth infinite eternal value. That's the house you're a part of. 
The house we're talking about is God's church. And you know who lives in that house? Not some COO of whatever, whatever company, right? Not some person who was a startup and made, you know, of millions of dollars, because those are the people, kinds of people who tend to make it big in our city. Um, and those are the important, flashy people in, in our city. But um, the house that you are a part of is lived in by God. <laughs> That's a pretty important house, isn't it? And it's a, it's a very funny image. The funny image is that you're a stone, but you're alive. Most of us look at it, it's a rock. And like rocks, rocks don't do anything. They just kind of stay in their place. But you are a stone that's alive. And God placed you in this. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take a reach there. You know, this is one of those places in the Bible where it's not sure, rejected by men, is that a reference to him, that is Jesus, or is it a reference to you? I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a funny places in the Bible where I think the Bible is deliberately ambiguous, right? Because Jesus was rejected by men, and all those who follow Jesus, we are also rejected by men, I mean, we're also rejected by men for a couple reasons. I want to talk about this in one. We're partly rejected because of what we believe. In our city, that's clearly true. There's a lot of people who find Christianity very offensive in our city. And so they kind of find out that you believe in the Jesus thing, and they're like, mm, okay, you know. It's like, it's, 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 it can be an uncomfortable moment. And um, some of you may feel that when you go to work. Right? Um, but there are other reasons why peop uh, people who are, are rejected. You know, a lot of the people who um, follow Jesus are rejected by men simply because they're lowly. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't seem to amount to much in the world. Um, the people who tend to know that they need a savior, they tend to find that what is a value in the world. You know, that everybody's building a house. You know, your company, you know, do you notice that if you go to a, a fancy company like Google or Apple, they have fancy buildings? <laughs> and the building is fancy because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for the house that they're building, the whole structure that they're building. And do you know that some stones, some people want to be living stones at Google or, or at Apple, and you know what they say? They say, you're not good enough for us. <laughs> That's what they say. You're not the kind of rock that we want to build our house. You're not good enough for us. This is happening in our city all the time. You notice that? You feel that? It's a highly competitive city. Literally, among the smartest people in the whole world move here. They're very ambitious. They're tough. And everybody knows that in this city, if you don't have a certain kind of smarts and a go-getter and a certain degree or certain talents or skills, that um, people will say, hey, you're not the kind of rock that we want to build our house upon, right? But it says here, um, you yourselves, a living stone, you are chosen and precious. Chosen by God. So God didn't just look at you and go, well, you know, you're not, you don't seem to be, you know, not rejected, chosen. And you are precious. You are treacherous. And God wants you to be the part of building a great house. 
the one that he's going to live in. This is his house. The most important person there ever is or ever will be, he says, this is where I'm going to live. And you, I choose. Precious. That's, what the, that's, that's the feel of the passage. And so he goes on. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, verse 5, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You are to be a holy priesthood. And then, and then it goes on to say, um, verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a reference to Jesus. So do you guys understand the picture here? There's a, uh, there's a big house. And, um, you know, I really don't know anything about building or architecture. And, but you, you guys, it, it probably isn't hard to understand. The cornerstone, so, you know, houses have, it comes to a certain, you know, there may be multiple corners. But the cornerstone is that rock that you put right at that corner at the bottom one. It's, it's especially in a large and great building, that, corner, that stone is the important one. If you don't have that one, the building all collapses down. So you've got to pick the best built, um, stone for that corner spot. That corner spot, according to the Bible, is Jesus. And then it goes on to say, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, verse 7. So the honor, the honor is for you who believe. Let's stop there. The honor, and it goes on to talk about those who don't believe will, be put, will have shame. Now let's just stop for a moment. Um, do you consider being um, a believer in Jesus a place of honor? Hmm. Um, it's, we don't talk about honor very much in, in our culture, but um, human beings are always interested in honor. Hmm. Honor is the place of, uh, of the, the, the we, that we lift up. Hmm. Who is important? You walk into a room, it could, be on your, it could be on your work team, or it could be on like, you know, if you, you know, the, all you guys who, who are like sports, you already know who exactly who you care about. We, we wear the jersey of our favorite football player or baseball players, or our, you know, like, let's talk about our city, our, our, you know, our, our, our basketball players. I wear number 30, okay? <laughs> I wear the shirt of number 30. You guys know who number 30 is, right? Why? Because he is. That number 30 in our city in basketball is the number of honor. Hmm. Not the number of shame, the number of honor. Because that's, that's Steph Curry's number. Why would I want to wear that shirt? Because that's the number of honor. Are you kidding? That's why. Because he's the best. Hmm. He's my favorite. Hmm. That's the shirt that we wear. But here it talks about in the houses that we build. All of us in the world, we're running around. You know how we, how we do it? We all want to be some kind of a stone of a house. Do you know that? Everybody, you, you have to find some place of belonging. And that place of belonging, people are going to size you up. Whoever is building the house is going to size you up. Is this stone worthy of being in the house? I mean, I'm telling you, like, you know, the house that I live in, um, it's mostly made of wood, but the house, <laughs> two houses down was made of stone. And, you know, the, the, the wood in my house, they probably would all throw away, would never have been good enough to build the house two houses down, all right? That's just being really real. But that's also going on in our city in all kinds of ways. 
in your company. How about this? Um, you know, my, 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 my daughter is, um, is, is getting to be, is, that, is at the teenage age, and you know, she's getting interested in boys, and boys are apparently getting interested in her, right? And I am very concerned, is this living stone worthy to be a part of our house? <laughs> Guys who want to apply to be part of the living stone of our house, I'm going, you? I don't think so, <laughs> right? Um, that's, you know, we're all being sized up all the time. And mostly, we're being rejected, <laughs> right? Don't you feel it? You feel it. Any of you apply for a job, they don't even call you back, right? Um, any of you want to ask that girl out, but you don't ask her out because <laughs> she's out of your league, <laughs> that kind of thing? Or, you know, you ladies, you like reading those, you know, you love those romance movies because, hey, I, the, the, the kind of guy I want to ask me guy out, I don't think he will because we're rejected. Hmm. Not sized up well, right? And here, the passage says that instead, for this house, you are chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. So the honor, <laughs> the honor is not only for Steph Curry number 30, the honor is for you. If you're built up in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Isn't that incredible? I hope this is a good word for you. All you tired, rejected, you know, people in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, the only reason, okay, I, I assure you, you, you probably live in a nicer place than I do. It's just that I happen to be living in the, 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 the slums of Cupertino. I find it completely absurd that I live in a house that's worth more than some of your apartments, but your apartment is nicer than my house. <laughs> uh, but it's just a laugh. But you know what? I, I'm not ashamed of this. You know where I get my honor from? From being in the living stone, built on the cornerstone, getting to be a part of the house of God. <laughs> um, my, uh, when we were uh, driving, actually, it literally happened this morning. <laughs> uh, my daughter, my youngest, this, those of you who know my youngest, she, um, when she's around people she's uh, very comfortable with, there's really no filter. Okay, that, that's my youngest, uh, Elizabeth. There's no filter. And I don't know why we're talking about this. Oh, because we passed a house, and um, there was a sign in front of the house that was talking about how it was going to get torn down, a new house. She was like, good, that house is really ugly. And, and then she said, it's like, it's almost as ugly as our house. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> um, I was like, all right. I was like, come on, Elizabeth. I was, it, a little bit stung me as, as her dad. I go, it's, 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 our house is ugly on the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's good. She's like, it is. But, you know, what's, um, what was good is what I love about my kids is um, that they, they don't feel ashamed. <laughs> because... They know their worth is not in how nice their house is. It's not, um, it's not in like some, uh, you know, like the clothes that they wear. And they, they didn't get that because I'm such a great dad. It's because they found a really great savior. They built their life on a much stronger stone, right? They built it on a cornerstone. 
And uh, I didn't give them that gift to like other people. You guys did. This church, <laughs> you know, Frank, I'm super grateful to Frank, right? Our youth pastor who, who, who taught them the gospel very faithfully. So, um, so let's, let's go to a second book. What's a priest? You're a priest. I don't want to be a priest. Isn't a priest some religion person who does something? No, okay, let's, let's back up. So in our society, anything that has to do with religion, people reflexively get like, okay, right? I like that. But a priest, here's the function of a priest. Everybody knows, well, I mean, maybe not our country knows, but most people who want God, they know that we need more in our life than merely good health and money. We need, and we need eternal things, not just um, temporal things. And if you want those things, you need to go to some being that's more transcendent, more powerful. And somebody's got to help you go there. I mean, most, most your average joke is, how do you get to God? I need some, something from heaven. I need some blessings. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need love. I need hope. I need something, right? I need just wisdom. I mean, like, my wife doesn't even like me. How about that? Is there something more? Right? And because I'm not finding it just in the stuff that's of the world. And you know what? So people go looking around, and you know what they do? They, they go to the place where God, God is supposed to be. And then someone there, part of it, is supposed to help you go to God. The priest is the one that stands from God and helps offer God to people. And then he's also the one, for lots of people who are afraid to go to God or don't know how to go to him, he's the one, or she, is the one, because you are a royal priesthood, plural. This is inclusive men and women, right? He or she is the one that will help you see him, help take you to him. Um, I often think about a priest in, so there's God up here, and you know, we're all like mucking around and kind of dying and lost down here. And who's the Who's the priest? The priest is the one who will come here and take you by the hand and help take you to the, him whom you need. It will also let you know that he's not far away, not way up there, but he it will come down to you and remind you he's the God who comes down to you. He's the one in the middle, or she's the one in the middle, who will help you go when you're afraid, when you're lost, when you're broken, you're hurt. Now let me just ask you for a moment here. That just, now, that's what pastors do, right? I hope, I hope pastors do this thing because that's something that's one hugely important role in a pastor. But do you only want pastors doing that? Um, if your coworker has questions about God and you know about Jesus and they start asking you questions about God and then you start in kindness in gentleness, in love, answering questions about God. You know what you do? You're a priest. <laughs> Welcome to priesthood. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> There's God. This person's like, I, I, I need help. <laughs> and they turn to you, and you become a priest. Your cousin, um, their life starts breaking down. Their marriage starts hurting. And then you say, you know, I read some stuff in the Bible, and this helped us. When we were screwing up, you become a priest. Maybe um, you just know that coworker um, that nobody likes, nobody pays attention to, 
but you just have compassion. You may not even mention Jesus, but because Jesus had compassion for you, when nobody cared about you, you say, in Christ, let me just offer some friendship. You don't even mention Jesus. And maybe they start to open up to you, and you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And they mention, I don't know, like um, my brother committed suicide two years ago. I've been depressed ever since. Right? And they're new in the company, and depressed people don't, aren't, usually aren't very good at making friendships, and they don't tend to be the most popular people. And because you offered friendship, they just told you about it. Maybe you just say, can I pray for you? And maybe, they, maybe, they've, maybe they've never gone to church. Or they went to church and stopped going when they were like 12 years old, and now they're 40. But you're offering prayer. You're being a priest. <laughs> a really good one, too. A really good one. <laughs> it's really important. And whenever we do these things, these seemingly very small things, right? Oh, you are precious. Precious and honored. Huh? Honored. So it says here that we offer spiritual sacrifices, right? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. We're always offering, saying, hey, I will do this. I will contribute this to the company. I will contribute this to the team. You know, like uh, I watch a, a, an average Warriors game, and like, get that guy off. That guy stinks, <laughs> right? Bench him, please, Steve Kerr. And, you know, we're like, I'm judging him. I'm shaming him. But when we do it through Jesus, whatever you offer through Jesus, small, seemingly small, it's all washed by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. It's clean. It's beautiful. It's precious. Let's go to... Um, Part two, no small persons, no small talents, no small offerings. Um, you know, we're, we're always worrying about our performance all the time. Are we good enough? Are we good enough? And because of that, everything that we do, we have to offer with a kind of works righteousness. You understand? Works righteousness is not only in the church. <laughs> works righteousness is in every company, every team, even in your own family. <laughs> right? We're always on the legalistic path of works righteousness, and works righteousness is, is all about pride and insecurity. Pride and the flip side of pride, insecurity. So everywhere we go, I'm so great because I'm good enough. I'm more than good enough, or I'm so bad, I'm not good enough. That's going on all the time. And unfortunately, so this word I just gave you in the church, you're a royal priesthood. You're chosen and precious. And I spent some good time with this. So you can see it in the passage. Right? But um, so uh, let, me, let me be a little bit of a tough pastor here. I know you don't believe this. <laughs> I've been a pastor a long time. I, I know people don't believe this. Because what we do is we take, remember I, that, that message I gave a couple weeks ago, how we're supposed to have countercultural values? We, we, we've taken in the values of the world, and we feel ashamed. And so then we even walk into church, God's house. You are, the, you are the living stones. We're built on the great cornerstone. And then we walk in with pride and insecurity and go, well, I, I don't have much to offer. Well, since I'm not, well, 
that no one's going to value what I do. Or, you know, we, do, we, we bring the values of the world, only the people who are up front, you know, well, the pastor, he's so important because, he, well, he's got a title, we have to pay him, and, uh, you know, he talks, and we're actually supposed to listen to him, right? I, 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 you know, I hope you know you're supposed to listen to me, right? And, um, and so he's important. Or well, other people who get to come up front, they're really important. But some of you are like, I'm shy. I never want to be up front. I just want to be in the background, and that's not that important, is it? Or we walk in and we use the values of the world, and then the jobs that the, the world doesn't value, Right? The jobs that the world doesn't value. Um, cleaning the bathroom. Or setting up chairs. Or making sure you know, some, some website you know, stays maintained. You know, these are the jobs that the, that the world doesn't value. And yet, so then we walk into the church and you know, we go, eh, I don't think I would do that. <laughs> because they don't seem very important. But that's not true. All those are completely false. When you do it, spiritual soccer, it's honored. It's beautiful. It's precious. It's chosen, actually. Um, let me tell you a story. You know, there's no small person here. And whatever gift you have, you think, I, there isn't much I can do. This is all I can do. All I know how to do is I can just show up and, like, set up chairs. That's all I can do. That's all you can do? That's pretty good. There's really no small thing. You give to Jesus, you're building the best house there ever is, ever will be. <laughs> Let me tell you an interesting story. Um, years ago, um, so I was in my um, early 20s. I was going to church in, um, out in Boston. Um, this is where I actually met Christy, I met Grace. We went to this church together. Uh, they were in college. I was in grad school. And it was a, it was a, it was a young church for a lot of young people. On a typical Sunday, um, we probably ranged from 50 to, like, when we were really big, 100, <laughs> okay? 50 to, like, maybe 100. Um, most of the people were young, age 18 through 25-ish, right? And a lot of college students. That's what the church was like. Um, it, even among young people's churches in the city that was, like, attracting Asians and stuff like that, um, we, we were like the, 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 the least cool one, okay? We, we knew we weren't the cool one, right? And uh, this is what our, our, our church was like. And there was a time when um, we, you know, we were like really struggling to have a, a good praise team. We, had like, we only had like three praise leaders, and they were really tired doing all kinds of other stuff. And we spent a whole summer praying for more, um, for more praise people. And, um, and so, you know, typical, we're like th these tired souls that really love the Lord, but they're doing like three other things. They would get up there and lead us, like one person, one woman, <laughs> you know, playing uh, the guitar, and that's, that's what our praise was like, right? And then, then in that summer, the Lord blessed us and gave us like this crop of like freshmen. And man, they were amazing. <laughs> they, could, they could all, you know, you, if you got into the, the college van when we were taking them, they'd all start singing and they'd all start harmonizing. It's like, it was like listening to pentatonics. <laughs> and you're, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making that up. <laughs> they were that good. It was like pentatonics before pentatonics and you're in the college. You're like, what the heck? So the Lord gave us these guys, okay? And they're all freshmen, really young um, and pretty immature, and, um, 
and uh, very, very oriented toward insecurity and, and um, you know, there's a freshman, freshman in, 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 in college, um, incredibly gifted, right? They could all sing. And, and most of them could play multiple instruments. <laughs> it was crazy. It was like, you watch this girl who, who usually doesn't play any instruments, and then there was a day at retreat, she stood up, and then she started playing. And the kids were like, we didn't know you could do that. It was crazy. And so then the music quality just, just shot to a whole other level. It was, just, it was like we went from like the worst to like the best. It was incredible. But um, the, the guy who was on the pastoral staff, his guy, Kenny, his name was Kenny, dear friend of mine, and he began to take these uh, freshmen. And he's like, he pretty much said, when you guys come up here, you guys think your talent is going to what's glorify God because you're so good. And so... He, he got them together, and he didn't let them sing for like a whole semester. <laughs> he let our praise team kind of still be dumpy. You know what he made them do? He made them show up. So he goes, first, if you want to serve on praise team, you have to show up way, you have to show up like four hours before service. So that was okay because our service wasn't at like 10 o'clock. So they weren't showing up at 6 a.m., okay? Our service was like at 1 o'clock, and they had to show up like at 9 o'clock, which is pretty darn early for a college student. And then... He says, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have a Bible study. It took like 10 weeks on stuff like this. Not, it's like, so all your performance and pride and like, it's about me and like, see how great I am? He, he like says, we're going to repent and burn that all away through Jesus. Right? That's, what we, that's what he did. And then so he would, he would make them like, like lug stuff and just set up chairs and do all this other stuff. <laughs> right? And wouldn't let him sing. <laughs> but um, there, was also, um, we also, there was also another member of the praise team who never sang. So Kenny would sing. He wasn't even a good singer. <laughs> it was crazy. He, he let this girl play the keyboard and he did the singing. And we were like, why are you singing? <laughs> right? It was weird, okay? But, but wise. Wise unto the Bible. But there was, another, um, there was a number, another member of the praise team. She was a small woman, upperclassman, and she woke up faithfully. Kenny would drive all the way down to her college to pick her up, and she never complained. And then finally, when we unleashed these, these incredible singers, um, this woman never got any of the glory. So this is how, how was it done. Today, it's all, this okay. For those of you guys, who um, are like really young and don't know of this, like the, this period when there was this thing called analog, okay? Nowadays it's digital, we have this special thing, it's you know, like, it, like cool snazzy stuff just and all the lyrics go up there and you get cool pictures and okay. We had none of that back then, right? Just in the ancient of days, there was nothing. So the way we got the lyrics was there was this thing called the transparency machine. Okay, this is, this is in the really, really old ancient days. It's like, so there's a piece of light, and, and then it like projects this light, and what you have to do is you, you have to take your, you know, you print the lyrics, and then you photocopy it onto this, you know, this, uh, this transparent sheet of plastic, right? And so somebody has to put that piece of pl plastic on there, and then it'll get projected up there, and then that person will move the thing as you, you move to the chorus. And then someone has to organize, because you know, you're gonna, over time, you're going to have 100 songs or 200 songs. Somebody has to organize those songs and do that work, and they'll say, okay, we're going to sing these songs, and that person has to find those songs and keep all that organized. 
Well, this one other woman, she did that. No complaint, faithfully, every single week. Having to wake up early for a college student to serve that, and she was on praise team. Right? And, um, and her name was Grace. <laughs> I ended up marrying that girl. <laughs> and, um, I'm, that's, I was sitting there going, like, if I did this, the, the church will think I'm going to brag about my wife. But you know what she was? She was just being a living stone. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, there was a, the, the two years before that, the first time I got to the church, there was a pastor there, and I used to fall asleep in his sermons all the time. <laughs> That's why I don't get offended if you fall asleep in my sermon. But he said this one thing. He said this one thing that everybody's looking to do the flashy thing at church, but God, God sees everybody serve. And he loves the person who washes dishes at church. He loves the person who does, takes care of two-year-olds at church. Those jobs that nobody takes seriously and nobody praises, right? It's funny. I remembered that sermon, that, that point. I forgot like almost every other of his sermons. But somehow that thing stuck in my head. And before Grace and I started um, becoming friends, I had no idea what she did for church because I never paid attention to who the heck flips the, the transparency. But then when Grace and I started becoming friends, I noticed, oh, she's the one who does that. And then that point that the pastor made stuck in my brain, and I said, oh, that's precious. That's really precious. It's really important. What if nobody did that? What if nobody did that? You know, it, we would have these amazing singers and musicians up there, and everybody would be really annoyed because <laughs> there'd be no lyrics, <laughs> or the lyrics wouldn't be handled, or be the wrong, or whatever. Right? And it was like, it seems like a small job, doesn't it? But it's not a small job to, to the Lord. And so many people were blessed every single week. You know, we're, we're launching this church. Um, you know, a couple of these teams don't have anybody leading it. Um, you know, one of the teams that don't have anybody leading it is, uh, is set up, clean up. And, you know, um, pa Pastor Young, we visited uh, one of the, the, you know, one of our members, and we were talking about the teams, and he said, you know, there's a reason I put welcoming <laughs> and hospitality care and set up, you know, you know, like, he put those near the top, right? And people don't really pay attention to usually who's the person that greets you. Who's the person that takes, you know, one of the reasons why... Um, why uh, you'd, you'd sometimes we have like issues with like the bulletin and stuff like that is because it's just bottlenecked through the pastors. It'd be great if some people t set that up, some people got our room ready, some people said, hello, welcome to God's house. Have you been beaten down this week? Have you been hurting this week? This is a good place for you. Welcome. Right? And then sometimes, you know, the, the person who comes the first week or the second week, they, like, they've been coming for a few weeks. So that's like, that's welcome. It's, it's really funny that the person who gives the bulletin shakes their hand, takes their name. It's, uh, it doesn't seem like much. It's really important. They say that people come to church. Just think about this. Someone's coming to church. They haven't been to church in a long, long time. Or they've never been to church. Or they've been living a really, really decadent life. So they're like, 
I really, really need God, and I'm hoping that there's, this church actually has something about God, but I've really messed up my life. Will these people judge me? And it's so important when they walk in in fear and in shame, the first person welcomes them. <laughs> Five weeks later, somebody else follows up with them. That's hospitality and care, by the way. Right? Follows up with them. You're not nobody. We see you. How are you doing? No pressure. Just love. Okay, I don't know how to talk to people. How about you just set up the chairs and set up the banner, set up the food. I don't know, whatever it is. Right? It's a great piece of love. It's a great priesthood. And, um, you know, these seemingly little things, even for Jesus, they become really big and glorious things. I want to close by talking about the best priest ever. You guys know this story. Um, John chapter 13, before Jesus went, goes to the cross. He's, he said, you know, he wraps himself in clothes, <laughs> brings out the water, and he starts washing the disciples' feet, and they are shocked. The big mouth disciple. Is it going to work? The, the disciple, who's uh, the most bold one, Peter, he goes, you can't do that. You can't wash my feet. You know what's going on? In this society, you take the most, the least, <laughs> the most, well, the most despised servant, the slave that you hate, <laughs> that nobody thinks has any talent or worth, and you give that person this job, that when someone comes to your house, it's a hospitality-oriented culture. You know, every culture has some kind of like, how do you receive people? Well, in this culture, you know, you're walking through dust and dirt all the time. So one of the first things you do to someone is you wash their feet. That is a, that is a piece of like, you know, you welcome into our house. And so Jesus you know, he, he decides to do this. And immediately, his disciples, they react <laughs> because they're just like us, filled with the wrong values. And then Jesus said, no, if you don't do this, you don't have any part of me. You have to receive this. Now that I've done it, I want you to do it too. This is what I want you to do. But actually, and that's a glorious story, isn't it? But it's not even the best part of the story. Not long after that, then he does an even more important piece of servanthood. And he goes to be the priest. He goes to be the priest who makes himself the lamb for us on the cross. He didn't just come to wash our feet. He came to wash us of our pride and insecurity and rejection and shame. So we show up and we're like, I've got to earn my worth. Let me do the thing that everybody thinks is important. <laughs> I've got to do this. And, and you know, it's, it's strange how we hate being rejected and shamed out in the world. And then we just bring that into the church. 
but Jesus came to wash our feet to show us this is what it's like to be a priestly servant. And then he became the ultimate priest by becoming the lamb to wash us of all our shame and rejection and pride and to show us all that we do for him will be washed and precious and beautiful. Did you dare do that? Um, You know, my dear friend Kenny, (laughs) he took uh, people who wanted to do, to show their pride, and then he made them into priests. And you know, my wife, she she just, she said, I can't sing, so this is what I do. (laughs) But I love music, and I love to pray, so this is what I do. Right? And, uh, you know, like, what is it that you do? Would you trust in the cornerstone and the high priest? Do it with and through him. It's precious. Honored. And there'll be people who walk in and their lives will be changed. Revived church. They'll taste new life. They'll know that they're in God's house. All your little pieces of little pieces, <laughs> little pieces, which are actually really big pieces of love, Christ-like servanthood. They'll walk in. They'll feel it. They'll taste it. And they'll say, I can't really quite put my finger on it. I think God is here. <laughs> Let's pray. We all, in this world, we... We all would rather be worldly. I don't even know if we can call it priests because priests are, we want to be worldly conquerors or something. And yet, you confer upon us an unbelievable honor, the chance to be royal priests. And so we pray, Lord, um, you give us faith and you would set our identity and our hearts we would lift up our eyes as we sang to Jesus, the great, great, greatest high priest who made himself a lamb, the lamb greater than the feet washing, the ultimate feet washing because it was better than feet washing. It was heart washing. Transform our minds and hearts and then may we use our feet and our hands. And is, there, is there anybody here today who feels ashamed of, I'm not good at this, this, or that, I pray that you would wash over your honor. Your honor would wash over them. And they would become a living stone built on the cornerstone. And revived church would become an unbelievable house (laughs) of infinite worth because it's your house. Be honored and magnified in the midst of your people, the midst of your living stones, the royal priests. Revive Church. In Jesus' name, amen.